The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. How long are we going to this one, cue ball? A little more than five days. Well, at least it looks like San Francisco. Yeah, but we've been down that road before. Longer library hours? What's that, Tchaikovsky? I'm impressed, Mr. Brown. Hey, I know all the long hairs, man. If you're going to play the game, you got to appreciate the greats. Check it out. It's Albert. Mr. Mowry? Excuse me. Can I get your autograph? Uh, Can I have your autograph, too, please? Sure. Make it out to Sigmund. Sigmund. I want to be in the academic decathlon just like you. You're the greatest scientist in the world, Quinn. <laughs> Professor Arturo, you too. My mom's one of your biggest fans. She is? She's got all your textbooks. She has. Kind of a reception. Reminds me of the first time I played the Apollo. Little Rembrandt and the Shandells back in the early 70s. Are you guys all right? I act like I'm some kind of academic superstar. Well, we evidently have arrived on a world where they regard intellectual achievement with the same sort of adulation that we confer on movie stars or sports heroes. Rather sensible, if you ask me. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, April 22nd, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today on this Earth Day, April 22nd, 2010. And today our subject is not going to be directly Earth Day and the things involved with it because, of course, we're on the other side of that situation. We are joined in studio today by someone who has been here before, and that is Professor Christopher Essex. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Bob. Um, you're the professor and associate chair in the Department of Applied Mathematics here at the University of Western Ontario, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And you were former director of UWO's program in theoretical physics, yep. eh? Mm -hmm. Heavy stuff. Um, I don't know how I'm going to... You know, Robert and I were talking about you last night. And we, were trying uh -oh. to, we were trying to peg you. And um, it wasn't just a simple thing to call no, you a mathematician. I, you are I'm all over pegged. the place. If this was sliders, like that first clip, he'd be a rock star. Yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> there you go. And that's, I have your autograph. That's, yeah. that, that's kind of our theme today. Um, when we talked earlier, you, you, you expressed a little bit of a lamentation about, uh, you know, society's attitudes towards science and mathematics and... Um, basically, you know, how they distance themselves from those things. Is that a, a big concern? It's a big deal with Earth Day, too, eh? Is, is that a... Well, to connect up with the Earth Day theme, um, one of the things I like about Earth Day is because it, well, is that it encourages people to think about the natural world. And uh, it's something that people can escape from uh, in the, our nice sort of internal sort of human dynamic all the time mm -hmm. and uh, not really think about what's going on right under their noses in many cases. So I think it serves a function that's useful in that respect. Um, 
So, um, of course, there's the other dimension of, you know, political uh, uh, interventions and so forth. And that I also lament because, of course, the politics and politics and science are really different things. And uh, somehow in the modern world, they get balled up together. Um, and uh, I regret that, too. I think we all suffer because of that. Now, you know, I'm almost a little surprised to hear you give any sort of positive spin to Earth Day, given that you are also the co-author of, um, with, with Ross McKittrick of Taken by Storm, which came out in 2002, and um, kind of refutes the whole global warming thesis to begin with. And isn't that really what Earth Day is about? Uh, I think Earth Day actually predates uh, a lot of that stuff. Um, I it's, think 40, was, it's a 40th anniversary, I understand. Yeah, right? so yeah. I, I, I think th there, was, there was this kind of dimension about concern about pollution and uh, uh, living in a clean environment, and you know, who's opposed to any of that? And I'm never really opposed to a good party, so I mean, I think... <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say, well, let's not have that, but... Uh, of course, I, I'm not really enthusiastic about how people use it as a spin-off to frighten people and get people all worked up and anxious and so on. And I, I think that that's uh, not in our interest. No, I think back uh, in 1970, I think it was the first Earth Day, and, and that's around the time of Love Canal and a lot of industrial pollution. And it was, I even remember, because I was, what, 9 or 10 at the time, so it's still a little impressionable, but at that time, pollution was a big thing. And I think it's been... Uh, going in the wrong direction now has been uh, politicized where before things like Love Canal are over property rights and the proper the care of uh, other people's property rather than today's notions of global warming mm -hmm. and banning drive-throughs and things of that nature. Yeah, what what bothers me isn't that uh, people are uh, are interested in the environment. I think that's great. Um, I like to live in a clean world and I've had some uh, reminders of that uh, um, uh, when I went uh, to East Germany just after the fall of the wall and I had these vivid memories come over me about what it used to be like here in Canada and London when I went to visit there and of course the technology hadn't improved it was in a kind of a frozen state mm -hmm. in Eastern Europe and, uh, and, and so they were burning brown coal and uh, if you've never experienced the smell that's associated with that um, it have, would be, so, it would be so, something really new. But the thing that struck me is, of course, I'm old enough that I remember that that was the sort of standard aroma here in London, Ontario, back in the 1950s. When I was I mean, a kid, we had a coal furnace in the yeah, house. And, and there was a kind of a, an aroma, and the air would smell bad, and, and it was just you just were used to it. That was part of life. And now we don't have that anymore. And what what my visit to Germany at that time, of course, it's it's been cleaned up a lot since that that first first visit. It's much much cleaner now. But um, uh, since that time, I mean, that gave me a kind of a wake up call and reminder of how far we've come away from that. And and I think it's great that we we proceed away from that. Um, and as far as my from, from the pollution, you mean from the pollution? Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and I agree. Yeah. I, 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 well, who's, you know, who's against that? I mean, who's well, who's in favor of pollution? I, I've, <laughs> I've asked that question many anybody. times. <laughs> but you know, when we think about yeah. what what they're actually celebrating today, for example, today in London, uh, Dalton McGuinty's here in the city, yeah, uh, quote unquote, celebrating Earth Day. We've got Jay Stanford, the city's chief propagandist, on this, doing his two two uh, bits. Propagandist? What does he propagandize? I mean, I don't constantly know. Constantly on. Okay. He, he's the city. Uh, um, Environment and Transportation Committee 
As I had, you know, he's always uh, leading the charge on green charges and, uh-huh. and their recycling and environmental conservatism and sitting in the dark, turning off your lights. Well, um, these are I, not I just the to things mention, that I, I like. I like biking. I like bike paths yeah. and so forth. So <laughs> I actually ride my bi- bike, but don't tell anybody. I actually ride my bike to work. So. Um, uh, oh, you I'm, do that because uh, of the planet or because you like it? <laughs> um, I do it because I like it. It's good for me and it saves money. All good reasons. I yeah, mean, you don't really... Yes, for sure. I, I also hate wasting stuff. Um, and uh, so that's a, that's another good reason to conserve. I mean, you never know when humanity might need this stuff later. So I'm not... Um, I'm not really an extreme. Uh, I don't take some sort of, you know, simple-minded extreme view on this stuff. I mean, I, I think it's... I think it's a more subtle. I just don't like uh, people getting all carried away uh, with the stuff that which I think they do. Well, then, what do you identify as the carried away part? Then, what? what, what well, a lot, of, a lot of a lot a lot of this. I mean, we have the climate change fervor, which we've mm-hmm. been living with for these last decades. But of course, it's been a little bit uh, uh, more intense in the last little while, and it's being, become more and more, uh, uh, shall we say, free floating without uh, actual foundations uh, than ever now. But uh, um, it never really was in great shape. Um, so there you go. Well, you know, uh, when you last appeared on this show, and that was back on October 23rd, mm. uh, 2008, believe it or not, and we spoke... Uh, uh, long ago. Yeah, it seems like a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, on that show I learned from you that there was no such thing as a global temperature, mm-hmm. that sunlight is not heat, despite what we feel oh, yes. when, when it touches us. We talked about dynamics, turbulence, wave particle, duality of light. We got into all that which never seems intuitive, no matter how much you, you can talk about it. We talked about Kyoto, son of doctrine. and um, But of course the theme that always did arise last time was that issue of the dumbing down of the general populace, particularly with regard to issues of climate, science, hmm. and math. And, um, you know, we had Lawrence Solomon on the show, that was just a few weeks ago, eh, Robert? Yes. Ta- talking about issues, and he, he was somewhat optimistic that the, that, that the irrational part of the green movement would die down in the wake of climate gate and things like that. Although I don't know that I'm that optimistic, because I don't see anything slowing down in terms of, well, if once a government runs something, does reality and science matter? I just mentioned that uh, I started modeling climate on computers in the 1970s. So I built my first climate model in 1977 or so, something like that. Um, so I've been watching this thing all these years since, decades since. And uh, I've been, certainly when it really started to take off in the 90s and was becoming a little bit uh, overstated and overheated, um, I was kind of hoping that the enthusiasm would wear off a little bit and things would get a little bit more in a sense of proportion. Because, I mean, obviously they're they're... We're dealing with the unknown. It's not a case of warming, you know, oh, no, it's not warming, it's cooling. It's not a case of, uh, no, no, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. I mean, it's not simple like that. It's not one-dimensional. It's it's really a case of the unknowing versus not knowing. And uh, so the bad things could happen, and uh, and I think that's, that's the honest position to, to, to take on, on this. But the problem is that people are really just... A, the essence of it is there are a lot of people who are just too frightened. It's, it's really about just really sitting people down, giving them a cup of tea or something, and say, stop being afraid. Just just chill. You know, that's really what, what we have to do is bring the emotional temperature down. And I was kind of hoping that that would, would pass away and people would get distracted by something else for a while. But um, 
uh, it hasn't happened. And so in a way, I think Larry's right. It will eventually. All things will pass eventually. It's just a question of the time scale. And I'm kind of often been disappointed over <laughs> these past decades uh, that, that people have just continued to get more and more uh, heightened and, and excited and worried about it. And uh, yeah. Do you think perhaps there is a, a plus side to all of the involvement of politicization of uh, global warming because you have all these uh, this interest in it now and a lot of people researching it? And well, the, the, problem, is, the problem is that uh, when you start mixing, I think I mentioned earlier about politics and science and religion and science and religion and politics all these this this big trifecta of things um, um, they all end up being bad versions of each other when they start flowing into each other and and I think that the science of climate has uh, has really suffered because of the sort of political interaction um, uh, because there's really not enough uh, shall we say the skeptics are are considered to be a political opponents rather than uh, part of the natural scientific ecology, if you will. The skepticism just left right out of the debate. In other words, you just well, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's basically what's happening. And the thing that people have to understand about science, at least at the frontiers of science, I'm not talking about known science. I'm talking about at the frontiers of science. If you think of from an ecological point of view, using the theme of Earth Day, you know, that different ideas and different theories are kind of like uh, different herd animals, you know, on the savanna someplace. And the skeptics are kind of like the lions, you know. They come and they take down the weak, you know, and the <laughs> diseased, and and the, the herd is in better shape. But basically what's happened is that the need for a political clarity has basically taken a bunch of talking points, which was that... There, everyone agrees of any credibility agrees to a certain thing and of course no one ever really says what that certain thing is or even knows but anyway they say it's you know the pro problem is settled and so forth and by doing that and funding accordingly and and all kinds of consequences of that type flowing around it's like taking the 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 predatory cats and keeping them away from the herd and so you get a kind of an unhealthy kind of herd and i think what you really have right now is you have a very unhealthy dynamic in in the science itself, and I think it's not making progress. There are certain kinds of certain areas of science in this field that need to have been done over the past 20 years that haven't been done because people have gone down a certain road. They're asking themselves, "What do policymakers want?" rather than "What is the What's actual the truth?" Yeah. Right. You know, and and so I mean that's that's just in natural. I mean I don't want to make criticize people for it. I mean, this is part of a larger dynamics and no one individual is responsible. And of course, there are, you know, people who are greater or worse in different aspects of this. But but generally, it's, it, it's, it is what it is. And, and it's partly because of this, this backflow of politics back into science where they, they had to create this idea that there was this kind of monolithic position. Uh, and to use the term of a past head of the IPCC, the, the scientific position had to be orchestrated for the policymakers to pay attention to, and that is like death for for really good vital kinds of science. Mm -hmm. I think this would be a good time to take a break, and after the break, we'll get into what you were talking about—the limits of computation, which is a big huh. issue behind <laughs> climate science, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Let's take a break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Well, men. I've been studying this map of the lunar surface, and I've chosen the dark side as our landing site. So, 
Don't forget your space beans. Roger, Steve. Just think, Looney, in less than an hour, we're gonna be on the moon. The first thing I'm gonna do is carve me off a hunk of that green cheese. Now, Butch, you know one of the purposes of this mission is to dispel some of those myths. There she is, dead ahead! You know, I've got big plans for that piece of real estate. You know, I'm going to sell advertising space on that. Now, just picture this. The world's biggest billboard. We'll make a bundle. Hey, take that crazy full moon. That's a full earth, Butch. Remember where we are. Sowie. This is only a hunch, but... Steve, what are you doing? You're committing suicide! Just as I thought. The moon has an atmosphere similar to Earth's. Take off your helmets, boys. <laughs> Good old H2O. <laughs> Steve, fill me in. How'd you figure it out? Seems like Looney figured it out first. <laughs> <laughs> That's my loony, a regular Einstein. <laughs> Come. Fermat's last theorem. You're familiar with it? Vaguely. I spent too many math classes daydreaming about being on a starship. Mm. When Pierre de Fermat died, they found this equation scrawled in the margin of his notes. X to the nth plus Y to the nth equals Z to the nth, where n is greater than 2, which he said had no solution in whole numbers. But he also added this phrase, remarkable proof. Yeah, that's starting to come back to me. There was no proof included. Mm -hmm. And for 800 years, people have been trying to solve it. Including you. I find it stimulating. Also, it puts things in perspective. In our arrogance, we feel we are so advanced. And yet, we cannot unravel a simple knot tied by a part-time French mathematician working alone without a computer. Is that true? No. No, I was wondering about <laughs> no, that. No. Uh, you know, It's dated. Uh, poor poor Jean-Luc has it wrong. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Was there actually such a person as Pierre de Ferma? Yeah, and, no, that's that, that's fine, but uh, th it was proven. It was. Yeah. Um, actually, I think that, uh, that now there what were... Was that? Did, no, do you remember? I mean, there were riots in the streets, mathematicians <laughs> overturning cars and things like that. You know? <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to CHRW Just Right, and we have in, as our guest in the studio Dr. Uh, Christopher Essex, uh, who's with us. Uh, he's a professor of mathematics here at the University of Western Ontario. So uh, what was... Is there an easy answer to this? I was playing with that last night. X to the N plus Y to the N no. plus Z to the N. Uh, <laughs> There's no easy answer. It's not easy. Can a computer figure it out, or does it have to be done? Why does computer does a computer figure anything out? Well, you know, I've got a. This is a quote from yourself here from mm. uh, Why Numerical Analysis Matters, mm -hmm. and I quote here: Hollywood has used computers apparently to solve by spectacle historically unsolved mathematical problems, but these cultural realities are all wrong. Computers are imperfect 
devices for mathematical applications. Now, that surprised me. I thought they were perfect. Um, where we thought to find pedestrian applications, there are deep and challenging mathematical problems that form the frontiers of our knowledge on some of the greatest problems in science and math. So what were you referring to specifically there in terms of the limits of computation in that sense? Well, um, let me put it um, in a different way. Yeah, um, some way we okay. can understand it. Well, um, uh, you, you were quoting from uh, an abstract of uh, yes, a talk that I'm, yeah. I'm going to be presenting at the end of the month in Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, oh, you haven't given this one yet? Not yet. Oh, no, wow, no, I got, no, a, I got no. a scoop here. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm giving uh, some, uh, I guess, a plenary talk on, on, on that, uh, why uh, numerical analysis matters. Uh, yeah, I... A few years ago, I was doing some mathematics outreach, and we had a bunch of um, elementary school teachers, and we were all together doing a little workshop. Um, uh, and there was a guy, I guess it was from Texas Instruments, and they were he was showing off their new t TI calculator that uh, helps elementary school students do, uh, do uh, fractions, you know, mm -hmm. three-fifths plus two-thirds, et cetera, you know, and the calculator would take, you'd punch that in and so forth. And, well, I mean, I, I was getting a little bored, but I got a hold of one of these calculators and started showing that uh, sometimes the calculations don't work right. And uh, so I actually showed some paradoxes that come out of calculators, which I call numerical monsters. Um, and uh, so I started showing them to now, some Now, are you of the saying that the, that the calculator itself is making an error in some way? It's just wrong. Uh, what does that mean? Like you put in two variables? Well, I like it. You could, you could take a number... And then add one to it, and then subtract your original number, and you expect to get one. But if your numbers are big enough, it you don't get one. Really? <laughs> you get, you get because of rounding errors or something? Well, the thing is, the rounding errors are so it makes it sound so pedestrian. The thing is that you actually, if you take one plus a small enough number, uh, you shouldn't get one. But the computer will say, "Nah, that's one." I see. And. That might sound like a small thing if it's a small enough number, but the problem is that in mathematics we we make things big. So if you um, so we actually showed I showed it's like I don't know um, say a million squared plus one minus a million squared uh, for many computers will give you zero. The one will just disappear. That was in numerical model. So I showed a bunch of the student the uh, the sorry not students the teachers there this thing and there, there was consternation and uproar all around you know that the ti calculator wasn't behaving quite the way they'd expected and uh, so there was it was a kind of a, a fun disruptive experience okay, you can't um, investigate things like chaos theory with with uh, errors like that because isn't chaos theory based well first on of all i want small to small effects i want to nail you on on the term <laughs> chaos theory i hate that term I, I, i'm just using the term I, that everybody I, uses yeah i, I hate it. where do okay. we get all what our would you call it? ideas I, you I mean, that the thing is that chaos <laughs> deterministic chaos you no know, chaos is a phenomenon of the solutions of differential equations and i guess there's there's kind of a theory associated with it but it's kind of a collection of a bunch of different Areas of mathematics coming it's the together. Word chaos, so, you, you, you don't. No, like, no, no. Oh. Chaos is fine, but I'm just trying to explain that it's a phenomenon yes. rather than a theory. Ah, it's a phenomenon of solutions of differential equations. There's no theory of oh, chaos. I see. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's theories associated with analyzing it, but it's not chaos theory per, per se. se. Yeah. Yeah. So just simply call it chaos. Then. But the thing is, yeah, I just call it chaos. It's which it's is a, not chaos. It's not disorder the way people think it is. Is it? Well, 
uh, I'm not sure the way people think of how do they well, think of disorder. I mean, it's, you see, a lot of what we get, like you know, I read a lot of quote unquote pop science books, okay, mm-hmm. and I think that's where a lot of the public gets their scientific ideas. Some of them are accurate, you know, some are not, and terminology gets into the uh, into the linguistic pace of humanity, mm-hmm. and we start using phrases that are not as accurate, perhaps, as they should be. Um, uh, who is the author? James. Gallic or something wrote a book called Chaos. Glick. Glick. Yeah. And um, I read that book, found it fascinating. I'm not sure exactly what conclusions I could draw from uh-huh. it, though, other than the observations of these phenomena. Well, I'd like to back up from chaos a little bit okay. because I think that's kind of, you know, the double black diamond part of this conversation. I want to go back to something a little bit more basic, which is the fact that um, inside a computer, there are actually only. Uh, amazingly enough, only a finite number of numbers in your computer. Not an infinite number of numbers, just a finite number. Right. So, since mathematics requires an infinite number of numbers, then you got a problem right from the very beginning. You got a problem right from the very beginning. And so, what happens is the... um, there are different ways to deal with this. I mean, there's sort of symbolic ways, and there's there's a, a more straightforward computation just looking at numbers. And I mean, I could show you a calculator, actually, it would make mistakes very easily. But it's it depends on... You have to know a little bit about it to know where it makes mistakes and where it doesn't make mistakes. And that's part of the training. So, in other words, if you realize that's an issue, then you train people up for it, and then it's not a problem. But if you are constantly conveying the idea that that it's all known and it's all mathematics is in there as a kind of application on, uh, uh, of computer science, then you actually are teaching, you're doing the students and the rest of the world a big disservice. And so it creates a kind of mystery and mystique to computers and calculators that they don't deserve um, and, uh, and haven't earned um, at all. Um, and, and in, a, in a broader sense, quite before we get into subtle issues like chaos. Interesting. Um, so, really, there's not much you can say about chaos other than being a phenomenon of various sorts that can be in- investigated independently almost. Well, uh, the thing thing that I think about chaos is that um, it's a kind of a kind of a, a, a modern idea. Uh, it was there were sort of hints about it uh, probably at the end of the 19th century, and then it. It uh, really started to take off a little bit in the 60s when, when computers came around and people really had to deal with, with it directly. So people like uh, Henri uh, Poincaré and, uh, in, in originally thought of this in particularly in connection with the three-body problem of the motions of planets around, uh, yeah. around, the, around the sun and so forth. Um, but uh, the, the modern version of this in the 1960s was when uh, Edward Lorenz started uh, looking at uh, computation uh, and discovering that these subtle differences made a big difference, and uh, that, that set off a kind of a revolution. There were some other things going on in the meantime. There was a big struggle because we knew there were certain equations we didn't know how to solve, and so we worked with approximate techniques for doing it, and when we it started becoming obvious that there were certain kinds of problems when we got into them, uh, the, all of these techniques started falling apart, blowing up in your face, and it was kind of all of those things together that, that uh, led to some really new thinking um, in science in general in the 1980s, 70s, 80s, and as this kind of started to sink in, and in some fields it really hasn't sunk in With at the all. Uh, climate change projections, 
uh, be severely affected by this butterfly effect? In other words, is it really fair to say that in 20 years from now, this ice glacier will be melted, given the fact that the butterfly effect or this, this chaos um, has, a, has a real effect on climate? You really can't predict 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now what climate Well, climate this is. is a really an extremely deep question that you're asking. And, uh, and sorry, and, no, no, there's nothing wrong with it. And <laughs> and I I I I, uh, I think it's good we talk about things like this. Um, the people who build climate models, I, I know quite a few of them, um, are are smart guys. I mean, they're not uh, they're not uninformed about things like this. They know about this stuff, um, and so they do the best they can to deal with it. And and one of the ways in which they try to do with it and do it is they. Uh, they try to um, mitigate the effect of sensitivity to initial conditions by averaging a bunch of different initial choices and, and working with so-called, uh, I'll put quotation marks around averaged, because I have issues with the word average mm-hmm. too, but that's another, another uh, program, uh, although probably put people to sleep, but anyway... Um, uh, <laughs> we'll keep you awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's no, it. Wouldn't put me to sleep, but you might go to sleep. That's the point. Uh, averaging um, uh, across initial conditions. The the hope and the dream is that by doing that, they are able to circumvent this. And um, I think it's an open question as to whether they have done that. But the problem is that models themselves have exhibited a kind of stable behavior on these long term averaging kind of. Um, um, uh, uh, outcomes and uh, and it's kind of been willy nilly accepted that that's appropriate uh, at least in certain communities and I think it it isn't I think that they haven't proven this and I think there's really no way to prove it either empirically by observations or theoretically at this stage. Interesting, uh, you know. Um I guess it's too deep a subject to get into in detail. You wrote another another. Um piece called When Scientific, Scientific Technicalities Matter. Mm-hmm. And um, inside, that, uh, inside that essay or presentation, where was that given? That, that was, was given. Uh, the Pontifical uh, Academy of Sciences uh, in the Vatican. And you had a section in your se- uh, headed, Hate Science, Hate Yourself. Uh, yes. And uh, you wrote that once at a joint event in Colorado featuring artists, musicians, and scientists together, which is an unusual mix to begin with, you were confronted by one of the attendees who singled you out and, uh, quote, pushed his face alarmingly close to say accusingly, I don't like scientists. Why, I asked. Because scientists make bombs. Well, I said, maybe artists make art that inspires scientists to make bombs. He stepped back and said with a smile, I like you, and... That was the last I heard from him. <laughs> now, you concluded from this experience that, quote, clearly his inner concern had little to do with making bombs. He saw science as something foreign. This is a sentiment shared by many, but I think denying science in this way is denying an essential part of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't that sound a lot like um, John McMurray that we were talking about last week? John McMurray seems to come up a lot. Yeah, it's amazing, because he's... Uh, I don't know if you heard the show last week. We were talking about science and religion, and that no. sounded so much... Uh, is, that, is that something you run into a lot? Um, Which? An actual, like, you know, anger at you because you're a scientist? I've had it a few times over yeah. the years, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take a break now, bottom of the hour. We'll come back on the other side and maybe talk about the expanding universe. Who knows? We'll be yeah. back. That sheer boulder dash. I never heard so much nonsense in my life. Do you mean to tell me this whole damn war was an accident? No. It wasn't an accident. I didn't say that. 
It was carefully planned, down to the tiniest mechanical and emotional detail. But it was a mistake. It was a beaut. In the end, somehow granted the time for examination, we shall find that our so-called civilization was gloriously destroyed by a handful of vacuum tubes and transistors. Probably 40. Ah, there you are, Julian, there you are. Now we know where the blame lies, don't we? Oh, no, you don't. No, no. No, maybe, maybe we were the uh, blind mechanics of disaster, but you don't pin the guilt on the scientists that easily. You might as well pin it on motherhood. Well, it should be pinned on somebody. And you scientists are the likely ones as far as I can see. You built the bomb. You experimented with it, tested it, and exploded it. Now, just a moment, Morris. Thanks to you chaps, a moment is about all we have. Every man who ever worked on this thing told you what would happen. The scientists signed petition after petition. Please, but nobody listened. He's been depressed. All of a sudden, he can't do anything. Why are you depressed, Alvy? Tell Dr. Flicker. It's something he read. Something he read, huh? The universe is expanding. Hmm. The universe is expanding? Well, the universe is everything. And if it's expanding, someday it will break apart and that will be the end of everything. What is that your business? He stopped doing his homework. What's the point? <laughs> Good reason not to do homework, eh? Any reason. Yeah, what's the point? Is there a, is the universe expanding? Have they? Is that still the prevailing theory? First of all, I'm offended by this business about not doing your homework. I want everyone out there to know: <laughs> do your homework. That's my basic rule. You know, I want you all to remember that. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've been told. Okay. Uh, but now, what about the? Is 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 the universe a steady state? Is it, is it expanding? Is there contraction in the universe? I, I hear so many different theories coming out about this. Uh -huh. um, what's the well, prevailing one? The latest one? that I know is that it's, it's not only expanding, but it's expanding at a, an accelerated rate, which is bizarre. Well, uh -huh. yeah. Now, that's th that was actually another question I wanted to bring up. But what is, is that correct? Is that the prevailing that's, that's view? That's the big concern now is what the heck is causing that? So is dark energy is the, the big thing and... Uh, well, Which, okay, let's get know. to that issue of constant acceleration. Interesting. If you pump energy right into a system like the universe, uh, thinking of it as a system, the then universe. where does entropy? Where does then entropy you can't, go? Then you can't. You can't have pump en energy into it because it's a, there is nothing outside the universe. Yes, I mean definition. that doesn't make any sense to me. That's this is where I this is where I fall down. <laughs> I just don't understand this. You see, when I first heard that gravity was related, or maybe is related to this constant acceleration, is that what it is? Well, I mean, and how can you have acceleration? The, acceleration means you're going faster in the next second than in the previous second. Would you? Wouldn't you eventually well, I, reach I, I, the speed of light? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's not quite. I mean, it's the, the idea is that space itself is stretching out, not just that your particles are moving away. So it's a, so nobody is committing any crimes. Uh, no, no, <laughs> but, but stre stretching yeah, out into what? Crimes. Into what? What are we talking about stretching? Well, out we, why don't we ask stretching out from what? I mean. Yeah, that's a good. Okay. I'll take. I'll take that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you, you can't use that into what thing. Remember, you remember your grade two physics where they you plot two points on a balloon and you blow up the balloon and then just simply expands the space between them and all of space is expanding, right? Yes, yeah. and space in that case is the skin of the balloon, not the yeah. inside of the balloon. 
Yeah, a two-dimensional view of it. Yeah, I, I think that you know these are. I mean, the, what's happened? I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things happen in physics, and uh, one of the things that that has really been happening is this kind of deep interplay between cosmology and theoretical physics that's going on, and I think it's uh, very, very exciting. And uh, um, the answers to questions are um, are coming more slowly than the questions. So. Um, uh, one of the problems has to do with uh, gravity itself, our understanding of gravity. I just got finished actually reading a thesis on quantum gravity, and one of the big struggles is to try to put gravity into a format that will uh, go along with quantum mechanics. And uh, there are certain kinds of structural forma- formulations that they, they work with that are historically come from classical mechanics, well, well, yeah, like, and uh, and I, I would like to talk about Lagrangian actions, but I guess I better not. Okay, <laughs> why would you? What, what is it about that you'd like to talk about? I like to hear what scientists are interested in. Don't always go by what we're interested in. Uh, something that interests you, I'd like to. Well, I find I find this really terribly interesting, and it, it was a sort of a mathematical issue, um, uh, and it has to do with. Um, um, uh, what what it is that persists when you go to a more general theory? I mean, uh, what what is it from the the classical physics that we know and have become more and more clever with? Uh, what is it that we have to make some changes into it to make it agree with with relativity and general relativity? We have to make changes to make it agree with quantum mechanics and so forth. And what is it that persists? And what I find really interesting is there's certain things. There's a there's a field called classical mechanics, or advanced, often called advanced classical mechanics, which, when I was an undergraduate student, was one of the most beautiful courses I'd ever taken. I mean, I just it's just pure beauty in mathematics and physics, and it's just this this elegant variational calculus that came up, and there's this notion of energy in the framework of something called the Hamiltonian. And there's this other quantity called the Lagrangian, which is kind of like a free energy. And, uh, and then we, we vary these things, and we're able to sum up all classical mechanics in this very simple thing where we just vary this thing a little bit and set it equal to zero, and all classical mechanics follows that rule. It's just so elegant and so beautiful. And then, of course, the problem is too bad it doesn't work uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, a non-classical physics. And so they figured out how to bring quantum mechanics into this and one of the ways in which they did it is to is to um, there's two formulations or something called the Lagrangian formulation and the Hamiltonian formulation and they're connected by certain kinds of transformations uh, by Legendre, Legendre transformations anyway so so the Hamiltonian formulation is the one they need for for getting a kind of um, quantum mechanical structure easily in place and so, for for various reasons, the Lagrangian formulation doesn't really work. But people like to begin with the Lagrangian, for a variety of reasons as well. Uh, and so, there's this big struggle to go from this Lagrangian structure to this Hamiltonian structure, bring gravity in, and make make the whole thing work, and make the whole thing look like a Hamiltonian, no, as no. we should, as, in order to make quantum mechanics work. And that's just a all of this mess. is in in the field of mathematics, pretty much. But that, that's the way theoretical physics is. And then it has yeah. to be either. Um, Verified or disproven by observation in some way is that is that how the process generally works? Well, I'm a theoretician, so I'm kind of you know kind of uh, 
you know, not not a big fan of observation. You know, <laughs> I, well, isn't I'm that, saying that isn't just that to partially, be facetious. Yeah, I mean, I look, the, I mean, it, look, I mean, it's not it's not really observation that that we need. We need something more than just observation. And this is a, a point that sometimes well, by observation, miss. I don't mean just looking. I mean no, some yeah, sort of objective, sort of, but uh, not just objective data, measurement but of of the results. I, I want to specifically say controlled experiment. Yeah. So it's not just good enough to say, oh, well, sure. I see it goes this way and so forth. That's the thing that that has moved science ahead is, is this ability to actually control everything and really separate the, par the parts so we can actually put the thing together. It's not good enough to just say, well, it kind of goes this way and kind of goes that way. And it's not just by just observations. They're just really not good enough in, in that sense. And so it's a very problematic to try to extend the idea of controlled experiment to the universe, for example. So, you know... That's well, we have that... Newtonian uh, physics is very easily explainable and experimentable. And Einsteinian rel relativity has been shown to be accurate in a lot of experiments. For example, when a, a spacecraft goes behind the sun and the... Uh, length it takes for the time. Well, actually, there's a much better experiment that everyone can relate to. It's uh, turning on your, your, um, uh, I don't know, your your GPS and whatever yeah, version you were talking is, about you know, that and actually being able to, it actually works. That, that actually requires uh, calculation from general relativity yeah. to get the location correct. And, but my point uh, is, yeah. though, with all these theories, there is, um, they're developed and they're thought to be valid when they're able to use uh, they were able to accurately predict something. Mm -hmm. And even with quantum mechanics or quantum theory, um, I'm not too familiar with it, but I understand the, the black body radiation or black hole radiation, um, Hawking radiation, I think they call it. That was predicted, and I think they actually proved it to be the case using quantum theory. Um yeah, I, I I don't think you need to go to black holes to uh, to prove quantum. It's just an example. Quantum, quantum mechanics. I mean, I, I I mean the only the only thing I'm. Are you trying uh, to get you're, a you're, you're good, theory? You're good. <laughs> no, what what I'm really getting at is is it comes back to this question of being being able to relate to science and and realize that this stuff is going on under your nose all the time as part of the natural world of our experience. I mean. You can, you know, look at this the fluorescent lights in this this room and uh, and swing a spectroscope on it, and you can see that the light isn't uniform. You'll see these bright bright uh, lines at different frequencies. The spectroscope splits out the 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 colors, and you'll find some of the colors are actually bright lines, and uh, and you can predict by quantum mechanics where they should be, and then and indeed they're there, and. Uh, and uh, so you don't need to do anything exotic at all. This is just part of day-to-day -day life. So th when you're talking about uh, different areas, trying to get them under a single theory, is that is that this unified theory out there? Are we still approaching this unified theory of everything out there? Or is that well? I, I I mean that sounds that sounds like uh, something out of I don't know Discover magazine, you know, mm. the unified theory of everything. You know, buy this magazine. You know, I mean. Uh, I, I think it's really more a question, ultimately, of people just trying to figure out what the truth is. And uh, it's a sort of a little more basic than that. I mean, it's just, you know, these things don't line up. Why don't they line up? What can we discover as a result of making them agree with each other and, and, uh, and so forth? I mean, of course, everyone has these kind of grand designs, but I think we're getting into some really... Um, 
epistemological problematic problems, epistemologically pro problematic problems. <laughs> Problem I love that. <laughs> I'm glad you could even say that word because I don't hear that word too often. Epistemologically problematic problems. Yeah, anyway, so I mean, the, the, the point, when we start saying we know what everything is about everything and what all the rules are and what the universe is and... I think we're um, we're being, shall we say, very bold and uh, and positive thinking when we do, we talk that way. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about that epistemological problem that we have, and we'll take be right back right after this. No, no epistemologically problematic problem. Game. Being smart isn't enough. You have to be fast, focused. Name the four nucleotides that comprise DNA. Adenine, thymine, Name the five major geological errors. Archean, Proterozoic, Paleozoic, Mesozoic, Cenozoic. <laughs> Elementary particles. Wilson, hadrons, gays, leptons. Wilson, what's the matter with you? It's Mallory. Mallory, you son of a bitch. I bend the rules for you until they look like a pretzel. And then you desert me for one of your little experiments. You're a sight for sore eyes. Thank God you're here, kid. What's that stuff on the blackboard mean? It's a problem in celestial mechanics. I'll bet he's the only one in the world that knows the answer. He doesn't know the answer. He'll never get it that way. Did he do it wrong? He just needs a little help. What are you doing in here? How dare you write on that blackboard? Do you realize the professor's been working on that problem for weeks? You'll solve it in no time now. How did you get in here and what do you want? He came to see Professor Barnhart. Well, he's not here and he won't be back till this evening. This is the man you wanted to see, Professor. Thank you, Captain. I'll wait outside. You wrote this? It was a clumsy way to introduce myself. But I understand you're a difficult man to see. I thought you'd have the solution by this time. Not yet. That's why I wanted to see you. All you have to do now is to substitute this expression at this point. Yes, that will reproduce the first order term. But what about the effect of the other terms? Almost negligible. With variation of parameters, this is the answer. How can you be so sure? Have you tested this theory? I find it works well enough to get me from one planet to another. Welcome back. You're listening to CHRW just right. Clatu, Verata, Nick Tone. <laughs> you know that movie, eh? <laughs> the Day the Earth Stood Still. You notice that he talked remake. about the first order approximation, his perturbation theory. That's one of the things that chaos basically rendered obsolete at least in certain kinds of calculations so i just thought i'd mention that it's funny you know they remade that movie <laughs> it was an abomination yes it, it became it became actually a, a, a green environmentalist movement it was movement just all movie. micto you know yeah <laughs> no plateau gratis no i found it interesting what you said just before the break because as i was reading your stuff i was a lot of your work transcends even physics and math and does approach philosophy in a lot of ways. You, you, you can't avoid that, can you? Well, PhD doesn't stand for piled high and deep, but uh, <laughs> it, does, it does stand for doctor of philosophy, so I guess I can't really be held 
too much in in uh, but, in contempt for that. You know. uh, what are what are the big philosophical issues? Are there big debates going on? Because obviously mm-hmm. that's at the heart of I guess what determines the direction of the science you're going to examine, isn't it? No, I don't. Huh? I wouldn't say that. I I, I think generally uh, in physical science. Well, reality and, determines and mathematics and so forth. The, the philosophy is something in day to day is kind of kept at arm's length, and there's the tendency to. Well, there's this great quote from Einstein. He referred to how we have to be sympathetic to philosophy as a field in its dotage. You know, I mean, so, ah. <laughs> so there's a kind of um, a haughty uh, view towards it, which is. Which well, is well. Know, that's not to suggest all philosophies are correct. I mean, but a, a, no, a no, philosophy. No, no, no. Of course not. I mean, or any all theories are correct. It certainly isn't true either. I mean, all science isn't correct. And, um, you know, when we were listening just before the break, the way you were talking about trying to investigate the way the universe works, the show before last week we had a, a talk about religion versus science and spirituality in general, and it seems to me the more I listen to you, the more people, if they're interested in understanding life, the universe, and everything, to quote somebody, um, <laughs> Good old Douglas, Douglas Adams, Adams yeah. <laughs> um, rather I should than, tell you a story about that. But anyway, rather okay. than going yeah. to um, a, a church, they should be going to a university to actually get into ac- to, to finding out the way things go. What do you, what do you think of something like that? Or is there any, is there any room for religion in the classroom? Of uh, in the a classroom, physicist. Well, in the classroom, well, no, but uh, that doesn't mean there isn't a room for uh, for for religion, and and I mean, I think I think you know, I often have this kind of uh, issue which comes up with people. Um, science isn't the answer to everything. I mean, unfortunately, there's some questions we can pose that aren't really scientific questions, and don't ask me for a good example right now, but I mean, does God exist or something like that? I mean, it's a... Um, what's his address? Yeah, what's his address? You know, does he have a social security number? I mean, I don't know. Uh, the, the the point is that we're confronted with something whenever you're working with, with uh, the natural world, is we're confronted constantly with the essential mystery of our existence. And I think that there lies a, a whole universe in itself of, uh, of religious thought and spirituality and so forth. And science is all about kind of pushing the boundary gradually back, but that doesn't mean that there isn't an infinity of mystery out beyond that. So um, I, uh, I uh, don't see any conflict between science and religion at all. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> Interesting. Interesting, yeah. Um, now, of course... Uh, You've obviously had problems with with talking about your points of view in, in scientific community because obviously you wouldn't need to write a book um, like the one that you did. Uh, I find that I've, I've run into you many times at freedom of speech events mm-hmm. and, and issues like that. Obviously, this is of concern to you. There doesn't seem to be as much of a scientific debate anymore. Is that what's happening? Scientific debate in it allowed in the uh, well, for example, the whole IPCC issue. Uh, you were one of a hundred scientists who signed um, that letter to the IPCC. Uh, I forget well, what year that was in. Let's, let's back off from, from climate for a moment. Because okay. I, 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 I mean... <laughs> it I, is Earth it's, Day. we got about three minutes left. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's a kind of a field that, you know, uh, I feel like that uh, character in a mafia movie, you know, where, <laughs> where you know, they I thought I was out and then they pulled me back <laughs> in. And, I mean, uh, I... Uh, 
I, I, I really would not like to be arguing constantly about sort of But I think Bob is just bringing that up as an example of the oppressive yeah. nature of, like, as you alluded to before, keeping the lions away from the herd. Yeah, yeah. The lines and, of skepticism. And, 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 and I was going to take it away from global warming for a good reason, mm -hmm. which is that this is really a more of a general problem of human beings. They do this kind of thing all the time. And I know lots of fields where there's like internal controversy. I mean, you can't imagine that people would come to practically come to blows and have heart seizures or something over thermodynamics. But I've seen it, you know, I've, <laughs> I've seen it, you know, people just get really upset about their particular ideas in science because the scientists are human beings and they've commit their lives and their heart and souls into it and then you know they feel somehow that they've been disenfranchised and not recognized and so forth this is human all very human and and uh, if you start taking these kinds of you know factionations that take place in science uh and amplify them with money and power and politics and so forth things get really crazy really fast but i mean otherwise it's just humans doing what humans do you know and and it's not just thermodynamics i can talk about theoretical physics i can talk about other fields where the the controversy is very intense uh within the field but what they did in climate is of course they all these little sort of quirky things were amplified way out of proportion I think that's a good answer, actually. That, yes. That, that it's less an issue of the science and the climate as it is of people themselves. And well, the fact that you, 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 you put an amplifier to it, you, you, sure. you pump them all up big. You told yeah. a funny little uh, personal experience about some taking a telescope to a school with kids to watch an eclipse. Oh, yes. And uh, I found that rather fascinating. They, they, they were talking about uh, they wouldn't let the kids out to watch the eclipse because of, quote, dangerous eclipse radiation. Dangerous eclipse radiation. <laughs> is, <laughs> is there such a thing? Uh, well, I mean, it's, I, I mean, this moon well, how much makes the shadow, you put it gets on. darker. I mean, yeah. But, but it, it, that was an example of, of sort of a combination of, of people not thinking for themselves and also being very sensitive and being easily made afraid of things. And uh, there really is, in the end, too much fear in the world of what people don't understand. And people aren't thinking for themselves. And I think the more people think for themselves and are open to other ideas that others have and then kind of together using the natural world to focus on what's true better we are off you know robert a heinlein once wrote that only uh, you go into a voting booth and in front of you is a calculus equation and only the person who can solve it is allowed to vote what do you think of that well uh, I, I actually think of robert heinlein uh, in another context um uh, he uh, talks about uh, he, he believed that human beings would survive but they would always they would just survive and they would always just survive just barely by the skin of their teeth because it's their nature to only to kind of slack off until you didn't say that part but slack yeah. off until it was just almost too late and then they would do it right yeah. <laughs> well most of us don't want to get up off our butts till we have to do we no, no. <laughs> well i thought your comment on too much fear and fighting the fear that's a great place to end the show really because uh, believe it or not our time is out oh well that was and fast. i just can't believe how many questions i still had for you i know robert you didn't even get to 
hardly any of yours. Nope, I'm just going to throw my notes away. <laughs> yeah, Chris, well, Christopher Essex has been with us today at the CHRW studios. Hope we can have you back again at some time. In the well, future. I just really uh, love uh, taking over your program and it's, making you lose control. We, so we, 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 no, we love it. It's okay. fun. Okay. We, right, we okay. enjoy it, and we hope to have you back. we okay, got to get nice. out of here now, and we hope the rest of you will join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, you know what to do. Be right, act right, stay right, and be right here next week. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Hey, what do we have here, a Red Sox bar? Sorry about that, dance. Another tough one in the lowest column Boo-hoo! <laughs> Who do you like, the Yankees? Another swift Bostonian <laughs> Yeah, I'm a Yankee fan You know, Big Ed, the Sox are doing okay Yeah? Since 1918, the Yankees have won 23 world championships, and the Sox zip. I want to talk about major poets from New England as opposed to New York. I want to talk about Nobel Prize winners in medicine. No. <laughs>